Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short term rental professionals. You are listening to an episode of The Host Show. I'm your host, Jasper Rivers, and we release a new episode of the show every single Monday. And in these episodes, I interview Airbnb hosts from all around the world to share their stories and provide tips and tricks on how to get started and be successful as an Airbnb host. Now, this episode is brought to you by SDR Legends, the only exclusive mastermind that connects the top CEOs and short-term rental business owners at the most unique travel destinations. So if you're running over 50 short-term rental units or you're managing boutique hotels or you're an investor in the short-term rental space, then we invite you to apply for the mastermind at strlegends.com. We'll get on a call with you to see if the mastermind is a good fit. And if it's a win-win, then we look forward to welcoming you in a couple months at our first live event at an incredible beachfront short-term rental property in Oaxaca, Mexico. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to podcast number 464. Today, I am joined by Mr. Nathan Welton. He is the founder of The Wolf Rentals. And uh, today we're going to talk about how we can uh, how we can leverage our, our Airbnbs and our Airbnb business to create a, uh, a positive change in our communities. So super excited to, uh, to talk about this. Nathan has some really good ideas. So Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I got to ask you first, The Wolf Rentals. That's a cool name. Like, Tell us the backstory of that. So I, uh, I live in a national park community. We actually don't have wolves in my national park community, but it's got this animal vibe to it. But really, it's named after Harvey Keitel's character in Pulp Fiction. When John Travolta shoots Marvin in the face, I think it was John Travolta who shot this character Marvin in the face, and they got blood and guts and gore all over the backseat of the car. And they call in the wolf to fix the problem. And Harvey Keitel shows up and he says, hi, I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. And, you know, I don't know, as an Airbnb host, you see a lot of things going wrong. And so I became the wolf because we, we oh. solve problems. <laughs> wow. That's, that's hilarious, man. Pulp Fiction was like my favorite movie for so long. <laughs> I watched it. I, I think I watched it like 15 times. We actually had uh, in our, this is back when I was uh, in university, some of our, our, our little student group, we had a couple of years where we were basically talking to each other in Pulp Fiction quotes. You sent in the wolf? <laughs> Damn, that's all you had to say. <laughs> yeah, I love that, man. I think that's awesome. Yeah. It's like, uh, hey, I'm Mr. Wolf. I solve problems. And then the other guy goes like, great, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Like, tell us a little bit more about your markets and, and what type of units you, you have. And Yeah. So like I said, it's National Park Town. It's Estes Park, Colorado. So it's Rocky Mountain National Park. We got 5 million visitors coming through this little area a year. And it's a unique place because it's contained. So you can't grow any bigger. You can't grow out. Mm. You really can't grow up either. Yeah. We just, we just have a ton of people and they come here because of our mountains, because of the park, because of our nature. And that's why I moved here. So I oversee 32 units of various sizes, you know, from studios to like luxury cabins. Yeah. been doing this since 2016. I got into it in 2016. Oh, what made you get started with Airbnb? 
I've got a really weird background. I, I'm actually a science writer originally. I have a you know background in science journalism. So I did that for a while. Then I became a wedding photographer and moved to the woods. And then in 2016, I just had a guy living in my basement who moved out. And I was like, let me just see what I can do with an Airbnb. And so I grew, you know, I, I started that. And I remember this guy, the very first guest I had gave me one star. And it was one of those mistakes, you know, where he thought the one star rating was the best one and not the five star rating. And I'm just like, man, that's a bad way to start this whole thing. Um, <laughs> left this glowing review and one star. I'm like, ah. But I had the first guest, I listed it on August 2nd. First guy came in August 3rd. And then I didn't have a vacancy until after Halloween. And I was like, whoa, I, you know, I'm onto something here. And so, you know, for the next years, I just reinvested every dime I made back into, you know, new units and got to the point where I couldn't really manage it anymore. So I started a management company to deal with my units. And then, you know, and then we just grew on and took on a lot of other, other places as well. Yeah, it's it's really uh it's really interesting how almost everybody in our community and and especially also in our you're one of uh, our mastermind members, right? Which uh it's going to be exciting to see you in in Mexico in in June. No one like like started this business with the business in mind. It was always like, oh, I I you know I got into I heard about this Airbnb, I tried it with one unit, and then you know it evolved into into a business. That's it's so interesting to see that everybody kind of gets into it that way. Yeah, totally. I, like this is the last thing in the world I ever would have imagined myself doing. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious, I'm isn't it? Talk about Airbnb. Um, never. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Let's uh, let's let's talk about today's topic. So we want to, and and this is something that you've been sharing a lot in our Slack community. You've been sharing a lot about like ideas that you have on on how can we how can we bring like a positive change through for our Airbnbs? How can we help people like make better decisions through through our Airbnbs? And you mentioned the concept to me just before we started recording the the triple bottom line. I've, I've never heard of that before. Like, what is that exactly? Yeah, so it's basically kind of an economic framework. Traditionally, companies just want to make money, and that's what they're looking at is profits. And this shifts that from just a sole focus on profits to a sole or, a, you know, focus on people, planet and prosperity. And that just really resonated with me because I finally have gotten to a point in my business where I can relax a little bit. I felt, I feel pretty stable about the business itself. And I, I'm like, now I'm really focusing on what I can do to give back. And if I can focus on people and planet and prosperity, and notice they use prosperity and not profits, prosperity kind of means increasing everybody's livelihood, not just my own, you know, I, it just feels really good to, to start moving in that direction now. And I, I so I'm going to ramble. <laughs> I just, yeah, uh, go for it. I'm going to contract on a property right now. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm trying to build a community on this property an Airbnb specific community that actually is going to embody these principles. And this is the first time that I've stepped into development. I'm terrified. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm totally overwhelmed, but I want to build something that is a custom built Airbnb community, ascribing to those principles, I hope can give back as much as possible to my community. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. I got two weeks in this due diligence period on the land and I got an architect and lenders involved. I got investors. I'm like ready to roll, but we'll see if we can even do it first. Yeah. What are, what are some ways that, that you're envisioning, like giving, when you say giving back to the community, what are, what are some ways that you think you can, you can do that through those Airbnbs? 
Well, you know, so I live in a mountain community in Colorado and basically every mountain community in Colorado has the same problem, which is a lack of affordable housing. And honestly, I think it's pretty debatable what that stems from. Probably there's a little bit of short-term rentals having to do with it. There's also a housing crash in 2008 that <laughs> I listened to a great Planet Money podcast explaining this, but that housing crash in 2008 made it so that it was cheaper to sell your house and buy a new house. And so everybody just dumped their homes and builders were no longer building homes. And so there was this kind of like lost generation of contractors. And then we have, you know, 15, 20 years of lost inventory, which is now catching up to us. So like, that's part of the problem. There's problems with zoning regulations. You can't, we just now relaxed in Estes Park. We just like a couple of months ago, finally relaxed our limitations on like granny units and ADUs. And, and it's just like, why hasn't that happened 10 or 15 years ago? What's a, what's an ADU? Like an accessory dwelling unit, you know, like somebody converting their garage into a small apartment, Yeah, you know, and there've been restrictions on that. And that should have, those restrictions should have been lifted ages ago. And people should have been converting their garages into places where people can live, but we didn't. So anyway, all across the mountain West, we have this problem and you know, and and maybe Airbnbs are contributing a little bit to it, but let's just assume that they are. What can I do to alleviate that? And if I'm going to build this thing, and basically it's like four, or it's a community of eight net zero A-frames, super modern, ascribing to this idea of biophilic design, which we'll get into later, because I think it's one of the coolest things ever. So net zero, all solar powered a-frames that produce more than they consume. They produce more electricity that they consume. And I'm working with an architect that can design buildings that um, you can heat with a hairdryer. And so because A-frames don't have a lot of corners in them, they're super efficient. And if we build them in factories in Denver and basically bring them up here and assemble them on site, you're building them in a, in a contained environment so you can get really, really efficient building. It's like super easy to insulate them because it's in a controlled environment. So these buildings are kind of awesome. So they're producing more than they consume. They're covered in solar panels. There'd be a back lot filled with solar. And then there's this other idea called a virtual power plant, which is, <laughs> I'm kind of going off the rails here, but a virtual power plant is kind of like next generation net metering. And so what you do is you cover your house with solar, you have a battery, and then you replace your service panel with a smart service panel. And you have a whole bunch of these things and they all talk to each other. And so traditionally, if the electric company sees that it's going to be really cold and everybody's going to fire up their electric baseboard heaters, they're going to anticipate that there's going to be this huge surge on the electric grid and they're going to fire up a natural gas power plant. And that it's called a peaker plant. And it basically provides surplus energy during that surge. It's dirty and it's expensive to run and it's dirty and really polluting. And if you have a virtual power plant, basically you have all of these homes drawing off each other's batteries in real time instead of the power plant firing this thing up. And so my idea would be to have these A-frames operate as a virtual power plant, you know, as a kind of a proof of concept and eventually scale that up to potentially every Airbnb in my community, which would be amazing. Like I would like to see that happen as part of our permitting process. But since they're being able to be heated with a hairdryer, they're still producing a, like way more electricity than we need. And we can probably work out a deal with the electric company in the town in the town's utility division and funnel all the profits from that electricity to affordable housing projects. And I'm not sure what, you know, how that looks yet, because there are rules in Colorado about, you know, sending, you can't give somebody free electricity, but you, you know, we might be able to 
take that money and put it in the town's general fund and then make a donation from the general fund to like the SS Park Housing Authority or something like that. So that's part of it. I'd love to see all of the, you know, all of the gray water funnel down into a community garden in front of this development and grow vegetables for families. I want to make sure that everybody who works for this development would be getting paid basically better than anybody in a similar job anywhere in my state. You know, I have a meeting with a mayor today to kind of figure out what else we can do. I'm talking to the investors about potentially diverting a percentage of our first year profit to affordable housing projects or the Essence Park Housing Authority, which might use it for, you know, down payment assistance on a home or building new inventory or providing rent assistance. Like there's so many things we can do. And I'm, I'm still sort of in the brainstorming phase here, but everybody that I've talked to and is on board with this project, like, like I said, from the architect to the lender, to the investors, they all are really behind this idea of maximizing the way that we can give back while at the same time running a very profitable business. You, you mentioned a lot here. So there's, yeah, there's a couple yeah, of things sorry. I want to go, go back to. Uh, first of all, you're saying you can, you can heat up these A-frame uh, units with a hairdryer? Yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? Like they you got to so, explain that because I don't understand that. How, how does that yeah, work? It's called, basically, it's called passive house design. And, and you know, they're, they're, just, they're cited in a way that they're really well insulated and they're placed on the lot in such a way that they maximize solar gain. And so you don't really need a lot of heat in the first place because they're naturally heated and cooled. And so when you say you can heat them with a hairdryer, it's like the amount of energy you need to actually heat this house is what you can produce from a hairdryer. Wow. Well, that's great because, I mean, I don't know about, about in the US right now. I'm, I'm back in, in Holland, spend some time with, with family here, but elect- electricity energy prices have gone through the roof here. Yeah. Is that the same on, on the other side of the ocean? Well, it's funny. Everybody complains about electricity in Colorado, but we, we basically don't pay anything for a, a kilowatt of electricity. It's, it's so cheap compared to how much it costs in like Hawaii. It's like five times cheaper or more. But this is what I'm thinking. If I can somehow generate you know, $200 worth at market rate, each one of these homes would be able to generate about $200 worth a month of electricity. And if I can cut somebody's living expenses by $200 a month, at today's interest rates, that's like shaving 150,000 bucks or more off of a mortgage. Yeah, yeah, so 100%. I don't know of a better way to basically reduce somebody's cost of living by doing yeah. this. You can do it at scale. And if you can build an Airbnb that offsets the electricity cost of an entire family, like that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, that's definitely a big deal. Yeah, that would be incredible. So you, you, can, you can produce that much electricity with those solar panels you're saying, right? Yeah, and because because the uh, the homes are so energy efficient and so well isolated, you really you really only need a fraction of what you're producing to to heat the home. Totally. Yeah, yeah. you know the, the biggest energy con- consumers in a house are basically going to be your you know your, your HVAC system, your water heater, and your oven, and then you know the rest of it's going to be like LED lights and you know a computer, maybe a television. Although I don't even want a television in these homes. And so if you basically get rid of the need for a heat source, you have an oven that Airbnb guests are rarely going to use because they're going to go out to dinner. And you have a, a hybrid hot water heater, which uses like a third of the electricity of a regular hot water heater. Then you have a ton of surplus energy. So these, these homes are basically power plants. And then the question is, how can we divert that surplus electricity to people that need it most? And you know, yeah. in, in communities, there's this huge... Poorer families tend to live in older buildings that are less insulated and it costs more to heat their buildings. 
and mm -hmm. wealthier families live in newer construction and they don't pay as much for heat and electricity. So <laughs> it's kind of messed up that the poor people need electricity the most and it costs them the most. Yeah. It's a really, uh, it's a really interesting topic right now, saving energy, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's been a topic for a while, but especially now in Europe with the energy price, because of the, what's going on in, in Ukraine, like energy prices are so high that there's a, a real focus on like, how can we, how can we preserve energy? And even here in Holland, the government is putting out these ads, educating people on like, Hey, if you put your, your central heating at 19 degrees Celsius, which I think I'm not sure exactly, it's probably around 70 ish in, in Fahrenheit. But essentially if you put it like uh, a couple degrees lower than you usually do, it saves a tremendous amount of energy. Yeah. Right. And they're talking about like showering, for example. It's like, hey, if you if you shower for like five minutes versus like 15 minutes, like how much water and energy you're saving. And I'm seeing all these ads right now and I'm I'm starting to I'm realizing like, hey, I, I actually don't really I have no idea how much energy I'm saving if I turn off a light, for example, or if I shower for five minutes less than I would usually do or put the temperature down a bit. So I think that'd be cool too, is like in having an Airbnb where you're educating your guests, where you're saying like, hey, if you if you shower for five minutes, this is how much energy you're using. Or for 10 minutes, this is how much. And kind of bring some awareness and putting some numbers behind those activities. Yeah. So that's another part of this that I don't want to go into a lot because it's a, a really cool idea that I, I actually want to develop and deploy on a commercial level. But that is a critical part of, of this development is basically equipping these homes with educational systems that guide people toward making the right decisions. And yeah, there's been a lot of research on this. That's, you know, it, it's part of why we have like MPG meters in cars. People have realized that in cars, if you can tell people in real time, what their miles per gallon is, they're going to maximize that. And they're not going to mm -hmm. hit the accelerator so much because when they stop on the gas, they see the miles per gallon drop to like four. And when they're a little bit, you know, <laughs> gentle, it's so on funny. The gas yeah. Gallon, it, Climbs up to 30. And so, you know, we've seen people basically improve their driving habits. Yeah. If you can build that in a house, you know, you're going to see kind of the same thing. And I personally think that everybody should be able, like everybody knows the fuel efficiency of their car because they have to go to the gas station and buy gas. Nobody knows how many kilowatt hours of electricity they use in their house. And I think that that's a stat that people should be able to rattle off off the top of their head. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're not conditioned for that in this country or probably anywhere. I would like to change that. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the the amount of um, gas that you're using in a car because, you know, my, my brother lives in Ireland. He's he's visiting here in, in Holland right now. And he told me he drove uh, he drove to the airport. It was about an hour and a half. And because the gas prices are so high right now, you know, he was really like thinking like, how can I, how can I drive to the airport and use the least amount of fuel? And so what he did is he actually drove very close to a truck the whole, totally. the whole way, not so close that it's getting dangerous, but he basically like drove behind the truck and this, this constant speed, right? Like constant speed. And he told me he used uh, he used like thirty or forty percent less gas than he use he would usually do on that ride because he's done that ride so many times. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, there's already companies that are building some of this stuff. Like there's a there's a company called I was just reading about it this morning when I woke up about these water meters that clamp onto your water mains in your house and 
you know, they can sense leaks, you know, and they, they, they somehow sense through the pipe water flow. And if there's like this constant dribble of water going through your main water line, it'll identify a leak. And it uses AI and some of these things can start to identify the appliance or the fixture that's leaking, or, you know, it's like, oh, that was a toilet that flushed or that's a shower. And, you know, if you can bring that inside the house and start to gamify and stay and educate people on what they're actually doing, like, I really feel like at scale, you can build homes that really teach people a lot about conservation, you know? And, mm-hmm. and like I said, I live in a park town and people, this is a crazy stat. I, I actually... I was like, what's the carbon footprint of just the miles traveled to get to this national park? And it was the equivalent of a 40 mile each year of a 40 mile long train of coal just on fire. (laughs) And that's just to travel from where they're coming from to get to our park. The whole reason people are coming here is to go walk around in the woods. And two years ago, my town nearly burned to the ground on my birthday in October. And, uh, you know, last year, you know, there was a giant fire in boulder colorado just outside of boulder in december you know the world's changing and we're kind of in a critical place right now and you know we got to do something about it and so what can we do with airbnbs because i i feel like there's so many things that we can do to make the world a better place but there's something special about airbnbs because you can scale an idea huge you know and you can impact a ton of people and you can impact people who are traveling and you know, I don't know. My whole life, I've been traveling and basically photographing rock climbing. My life before I was an Airbnb guy was I would shoot weddings in the summer and then all winter long, I would travel the world and, and photograph rock climbing. And basically, I, it dawned on me that like, man, the miles that I've traveled is insane to basically go recreate. But at the same time, I've like I've seen new experiences. I've met new people. I've met new ways of being and living. And how do I reconcile these two things like this, like human need to travel and the, like the damage that I'm doing. And that's kind of led me to this place where I'm at now. I want to go into the biophilia. I never heard of that word. That's the second word I learned in, in this podcast after triple bottom line. <laughs> What's biophilia? I'm fascinated by this. And maybe it was from my background as a science writer. And I love the intersection between art and science. And I think this embodies it in a building and a design perspective. But basically there's this idea that humans evolved you're co-evolved in nature. We are outside creatures. And now we live 90% of our time in buildings. And that's not the way that we came to be. And so there's a ton of research that shows that, that if you can bring elements of the outside inside, you're more relaxed, you're less stressed, you're more productive, you're more, you're happier. Basically life is better. If you can build buildings that make you feel like you're outside. And, you know, like in my town and probably all over the place, people just think that they can build an Airbnb and call it good. You put some furniture in it from Ikea and that's it. (laughs) And, you know, I'm envisioning building an experience in these buildings. People are coming to my town because they want to be outside. Well, what if I can build buildings that make them feel like they're outside when they're not outside? So they're outside the entire time. Google, you know, like big companies now are starting to integrate biophilic design into their office buildings and they'll put green walls up. They'll design like structures that cast shadows through through the office building so that people can sense you know they, they see the shadow moving across their office and they sense time changing you know they'll work with the way that air flows through the building so it's either hot or cool and it feels like morning or afternoon or night and they just give people this kind of like deep feeling 
and they don't even know what they're, you know, sometimes some of these features, like people don't even know that they're happening, but at the end of the day, they've seen productivity raise and their workers are doing a better job. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of what I want to do with these buildings. And, you know, it would go so far as to like diverting rainwater from your rain gutters, like into a building and into a waterfall feature inside so that when it's storming outside, well, you're going to go inside, you're going to seek shelter, but then you're going to have that water coming through your rain gutters, coming through waterfalls in your building, and you're going to hear it and you're going to smell, you're going to smell the water. You know, you can smell these rainstorms in Colorado. It's an amazing experience. And so if you, if you really like get people's senses involved in their stay. I feel like at the end of that stay, they're going to be like, wow, what just happened? You know, and they're going to be more involved in in the stay and the experience. And I think that's going to, and they're going to be more present, I think. And I think that that's going to clue them into a lot of the other stuff that I was talking about earlier about like guiding them toward using less, because if you can feel the beauty of this area that you're in, I think you're going to be tied to it a little bit more and and want to Mm -hmm. care about it a little bit more. You know, I stayed at an Airbnb once where there was literally there was a tree in the air inside of the airbnb at least like the trunk like, was inside of the airbnb yeah man i mean how did it make you feel <laughs> was it cool i thought it, yeah i thought it was i thought it was cool yeah i mean it, it was just i'd never seen that before you know so at first i felt like oh is this a fake tree or something and i realized like oh this is an actual this is an actual tree that's in the airbnb you know which yeah i thought it was really i thought it was really interesting definitely made me Definitely like change the experience. So let me ask you a question then, since you guys are working on, you know, on your free wild project, you have identified this as an important part of the experience, right? Yeah. And have you guys pulled, like, where are you guys going with this in in terms of pulling these natural elements into your, into your designs Mm -hmm. and structures? Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, we're, we're still, we're still working on that. Because right now, like we're we're basically running the the units as we as we bought them, so we're like, and that's mostly uh, Eric. Eric is doing that. Eric's kind of the visionary of the of the two of us. So he's working really on the design. We've we're working with the different design companies and stuff. So yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure yet uh, to tell you the truth. But just having like something different, you know, you, like. <laughs> Just not having a building with a bunch of IKEA furniture in it, but having some sort yeah. of more natural experience and natural stay. I, I feel like it really shifts people's mindsets. It did for me. I remember I went on a climbing trip. So when this all started percolating for me, I was on a climbing trip in Spain and I wound up, I remember, man, I got on the airplane and Google Photos, like, you know, it geotracks your photos or ge- <laughs> it has like a GPS coordinate on your photos. And it's like, wow, you've traveled three times around the world this last year. And I'm like, wow, that's really messed up. <laughs> you know, like that's a crazy amount of impact I've had to go recreate basically and photograph people recreating. And so we wound up in Spain in this little village, you know, and we stayed in an Airbnb that had basically no heat and like one tiny little oven and a couple of light bulbs in it. And I'm like, wow, like I'm now not using anything. This is great. I walked to the crags every day barely drove anywhere, walked to the grocery store, except a couple of times we would go to the big city and do like big, big grocery runs. And I remember coming back and it was this beautiful sunset and we drove through a wind farm and I was just like, man, I got to get out and go check this out. And I just spent the sunset in this wind farm. And instead of like this big factory belching out smoke, I just heard this. (laughs) I was like, wow, this is the future. You know, six of these windmills could power my entire town. 
And that got me really thinking about carbon footprint of traveling and, and, you know, just this huge difference between this Airbnb that I was staying in where I was basically using nothing. And then the Airbnbs that I run back at home, you know, where people show up and it's like, I can't even believe the stuff that people are doing sometimes, you know, we'll get these complaints about it being too cold and I'll go over there and they've got the heat blasted up to 86 degrees and the windows are open, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, they're constantly running out of the hot water in the 80 gallon water tank, the 80 gallon hot water tank. And it's just, you know, people go on vacation sometimes. And I feel like they bring their baggage with them and, and leave their, their brains at home. And I think it's got to change. When you book a flight right now, in certain airlines, I know KLM, which is the Dutch airline, he, they have this option. You can, they actually show you the carbon footprint of the flight that you're booking, and then yeah. you can pay extra to, to essentially fly net zero. Yeah. Go ahead. I think that's, um, well, I think that's, I mean, I think that's, uh, it's interesting because like, that's also what we we're talking about before. It's like, I think step one is like bringing awareness, right? Like actually measuring things and showing people and, I don't know. And I know you don't want to dive too, too deep into your, your new project when it comes to this. But what I was kind of imagining is like, as you're living in a house, like constantly like seeing a number or something where it's like, oh, you know, you know what I mean? So that people, people just understand. And then it becomes fun because then you can be like, oh, what can I do to bring this number down? You know, what can I do to get my footprint down, my carbon footprint down? Yep. You know, and that goes totally like having constant feedback is really important because you finally see what you're actually doing. I had a great experience in Europe feeding a wood stove, <laughs> actually, that taught me a whole lot about heat, you know, because in America, you just go push a button and you get heat and it's magic. You just, you, you push a button on your thermostat and then suddenly hot air is coming out of a vent and there's total disconnect between your action and what's happening because of that action. Feeding a wood stove, when you walk out into the snow and you freeze and you and you know, get snow in your boots, and then you bring all this wood back inside and you constantly have to feed this wood stove and you watch the wood pile dwindle, like, you know, that experience alone starts to connect the dots between just watching the wood pile dwindle, you know? It's like, wow, it, it took this much stuff to heat this house <laughs> for this long. And suddenly you start to see the consequence of your action. And that's called feedback. And if mm -hmm. you can provide that in a building, well, you've gone a long way. And, and you've, we've already shown that providing that feedback can alter people's behavior and in, in travel and the way they drive, the way they fly, whatever. So I, I think that's really important. And, and yeah, like it's like <laughs> that's going to be part of this project. I just don't, I don't want to go into the details because I'm still working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't let anyone steal your idea. <laughs> All right, man. Cool. This is, uh, yeah, this has been really interesting. Uh, time, time flies as always on, on this podcast. So we're getting to, uh, getting to the end before I let you go. Um, let us know a little bit more about your business and how we can, how we can find you if we want to stay in Colorado or if we have a house there that we want somebody to manage. Yeah. It's just the wolf rentals.com. And, uh, that's how you find me. Shoot me a message on the wolf rentals.com. Awesome. The wolf rentals.com. Well, that's easy enough. Sweet man. Well, any final any final thoughts before we uh, wrap this up? Geez, not really. I, you know, like I said, I think this biophilia is really important because it sets somebody's mood. One of the things I learned as a wedding photographer, I sat down and, and read a bunch of research on how to get people in a mood, <laughs> you know, and how to get them to react to an idea. And through photography, it was as 
I can get people when they're looking at a portfolio, I can change their mood by showing them particular images with shapes and colors and micro expressions on people's faces. And I redid my portfolio because I wanted people when they're looking at my portfolio to feel a certain way. And that would make the purchasing decision based on a feeling instead of a, a dollar sign. And I think that's really important. And so part of the idea with this, this project is with biophilic design, if I can put people in a mood and give them a feeling about their stay, then I think they're going to be more apt to support, you know, some of the change initiatives that I want to bring into the stay. Mm. If they're yeah. happy and they're less stressed out, they don't even know why, but they're in this house and they just feel a sense of calm and a sense of reverence for the nature that's inside that house and the nature that they're looking at outside the window and the nature that they just walk through all day long. I think they're going to feel more inclined to protect that. And I think yeah. that's really important. 100% man. Makes a lot of sense. Dude, I'm really excited to see uh, where you're going to take this, man. This is, uh, this is really exciting stuff. So definitely keep us posted. Uh, maybe we'll have you back uh, on the podcast in, uh, in a while. Hopefully in a year or so we can, uh, we can maybe uh, start staying at some of those units. They're going to be cool. I know we talked a lot about carbon footprint energy use, but you know, like, like I said, it's going to be really important also to use this development to make it more affordable to live in my town. Details of that are still to be worked out, but we'll see how it goes. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for, yeah. uh, yeah. Thanks for jumping on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, excited to, uh, to hang out in, in Mexico in the mastermind to the listeners. Thank you for listening. And of course, we'll be back next week with another episode. So see you then. Thank you so much for listening to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. We really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to learn more about hosting on Airbnb and building a short-term rental business, then go ahead and subscribe to our daily email newsletter at getpaidforyourpad.com. And if you're just starting out on Airbnb, make sure to download our free Airbnb starter guide at getpaidforyourpad.com forward slash get started. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts for a chance to win lifetime access to the Short-Term Rental Profit Academy, our starter course for anybody who wants to start an Airbnb business. Every month we select one random reviewer and give that person access to the course. Um, so if you want to have a chance to win access to the course, uh, please leave us a review and then uh, you might uh, join our program pretty soon. So thank you for listening. Check back every Monday for a new episode of The Host Show and every Friday for an episode of SDR Conversations of the Get Paid for Your Pad podcast. Get paid for your pet, get paid.